0: Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component 1, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to Widgmo.com and check them out. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 59 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hi everybody. Jameson Dance. Hello. Merrick Christensen. Hey, guys. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.TV, and we have a special guest, Todd Parker from the jQuery UI
1: team. Hey,
0: everyone. Uh, You want to introduce yourself really quickly?
1: Sure. Uh, My name is Todd Parker. I am a partner here at Filament Group in Boston. We're a small uh, web design shop, and um, I'm also the project lead for the jQuery mobile team. And previous to that, I was... Uh, on the jQuery UI team as well. So I'm both covered.
0: Did did I say jQuery UI? I meant jQuery mobile.
1: You did. I was covering for you though. It's okay.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Before we get too far into this, I want to make one announcement and that is, is that I've set up an Indiegogo campaign for the network of podcasts that this is a part of. So uh, we're trying to build a website that has all the features that people have been asking for. Mostly it has to do with search, and some RSS feed management stuff. So if you would like to support the show, then by all means do so. Um, You can do it by going to indiegogo.com slash projects slash devchat TV. And uh, I'll put a link to the show notes so that you can find it. All right, well, let's talk about jQuery Mobile here. Uh, I'm a little curious. I I mean, I played with it a little bit, but uh, I, I haven't really had to build too many mobile sites so can you explain a little bit about what the focus is and how it's different from the jquery that we all know and love
1: sure so uh jquery mobile started its life um it's very similar in concept to jquery ui so it's a that's a user interface framework that's built on top of jquery core and so and the difference between ui and mobile is obviously ui is much more desktop-focused, and mobile is mobile-focused. Uh, that said, uh, jQuery mobile, sort of from the beginning, we've always um, sort of approached it as being web-first. And so we never, as a framework, have tried to ape a specific OS like some other mobile frameworks out there. Uh, you know, we've always said, you know, it's we're sort of native to the web. You can certainly wrap mobile uh, in things like PhoneGap and create a hybrid app. Um, But, you know, we sort of have a more neutral, uh, webby look and feel to it. And we've also always um, sort of embraced the principles of responsive design, which is the idea that, you know, there's a blurring of the lines between phones and tablets and desktop, and and that's going to continue to happen. So really, the holy grail here that we're pursuing is a a single unified code base that will uh, gracefully work across all of those different devices. And, uh, you know, so the layout and UI elements will adapt based on the screen size. And, you know, also things like user input. So we make sure that uh, mobile, you know, works with both touch events and mouse events and keyboard events and all those kinds of things. So, you know, sort of embracing everything that is the diversity of the web from the very beginning. Um, and we've been very focused on, you know, the UI side of things. So, uh, you know, we do all the hard work on making sure that we figure out how to make uh, the CSS behave, uh, which is really tricky across all these platforms. So we've been very focused on that as a project of, you know, making sure that the UI works really well across really every device out there. If you've seen um, our device list that we support, it's sort of insane.
0: I w- You you totally stole my thunder. I was going to sound all intelligent and ask you about responsive <laughs> design. So Aha!
1: You stole my yeah. thunder,
2: too.
1: I'm sorry, guys. We are yeah, thunderless so- so- now. Uh, sorry, you are powerless. Uh yeah so responsive design is you know a really big deal here at film group we're uh huge fans of responsive design um we've been doing a lot of work with our friend uh, Ethan Marcotte who's sort of the the guy that coined the term um he hangs out in the office sometimes here and we work together uh, on the Boston Globe project, which is one of the, the better-known uh, responsive design projects, so you know we we sort of came into this project with that philosophy in mind. You know, so I think when we launched, a lot of people there were two expectations that were outside of sort of what we were trying to do. One of them was, hey, isn't why isn't this just a a DOM library that's sort of mobile centric? Uh, so basically, a replacement for Core. And uh, you know, from the beginning, uh, when John Rezek started this, you know, he I always wanted to, it to be built on jQuery core and not be sort of a competitor to that. Uh, there's a lot of stuff the core team is doing to sort of make things um, mobile-friendly with, you know, the move towards 2.0. So, so there's that happening. The other thing, the other sort of misconception when the project came out was, hey, why doesn't this look just like iOS? All I'm trying to do is build an iOS app. And, and you know, our response to that was, that's great. Um, there are ways of making that happen, but, you know, what we've I think all learned over time is that trying to mimic to the pixel any specific native platform is sort of you know a fool's errand, right so um, you know we we've always said you know we're going to be true to the web and you know if people want to build themes on top of that that look a little more native, that's cool and we have a, quite a bit of sort of a plug-in ecosystem out there around that around plugins and themes but you know what we've always wanted to do is something a little more all-encompassing and that sort of feels write on a lot more platforms than just a single iOS app or, you know, an Android app.
0: Cool. So what are some of the gotchas that you run into between the different mobile browsers? So for example, you've got Safari on the iPhone. You've got, I don't even know what it is on the Android. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what it's called. It always just said internet for me. Um, yep. But uh, you can also get Chrome that. or Opera for your mobile device.
1: Or Dolphin, or UC Browser, or <laughs> Firefox. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of madness out there. There there's a tremendous diversity in in what's out there, and and the gotchas are are pretty huge. Um, you know, I was going to ask,
2: how different are the? Aren't they all basically at least on iOS? They're all basically just WebKit, right?
1: Yeah, so iOS definitely makes our life easier. iOS doesn't allow other uh, rendering engines on its platform. So when you download Chrome, you're actually getting basically a web view with, uh, you know, Chrome look and feel. Although even in that case, Chrome has somehow managed to mess up quite a bit of things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we had all sorts of crazy things with PopState. You know, we use an AJAX-based navigation model, And there were some really weird things that happened in Chrome, which is unexpected. I always just called it basically a toolbar. You know, it's, it's a fancy toolbar. But, um, they did a lot of improvements to the web view somehow that broke a lot of pretty important things. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. So, you know, across the platforms, there's a, a a lot of differences. You know, so if you even pick up your typical Android device, yeah, you have all of the typical renderers out there. So you've got, you know, Firefox. You have both Opera Mini and mobile, and and Opera is sort of interesting because if you sort of are looking at the desktop perspective, Opera has always been sort of a very fringy browser. Uh, but in the mobile space, Opera is really huge. I mean, we're talking on the scale of hundreds of millions of users. Uh, really? And the reason yeah, and the reason for that is Opera Mini, especially um, is basically uh, optimized for low powered devices. So if you have sort of a feature phone or a low powered smartphone, you're going to probably either have Mini installed by default or you're going to go out and have that be one of the first things you do. Um, and, and Mini is basically a proxy-based browser, so it essentially sends you a an encoded picture of the page, sort of pre-rendered on the server. And so if you have a low-power device, that you know speeds things up quite a bit. But as you can imagine, getting a picture is... You know, interesting from an interaction perspective, or when you're trying to do more advanced things like use a slider or have animated page transitions and things like that. So we've had to do tons of testing across all these devices, and you know, they're they're just very different and they're very buggy. Um, Android is really problematic. Android is the IE six of mobile. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because the problems with IE six were that we were
2: stuck on this one rendering engine that was awful, and now seems like it's lots of problems, but it's from so many different crazy rendering problems from different engines. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges and approaches you use to dealing with proxy browsers? I know Amazon has the, isn't it Silk or something? The on Silk fire. Browser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you do to to respond to events on a, a thing that's like rendered on the server and then sent down to you?
1: It, it's, it's sort of interesting. So there were certain things that we had to do for Opera Mini especially. So, uh, jQuery Mobile has a bunch of UI widgets. And one of the things that people also wanted that we built from the, the get-go was people really want animated tri- page transitions. You know, they want to click on a link and have something, the page slide to the side. And sure. so the way that's done is you need both pages in the DOM so that you can actually do the, the transition. And so when you click a link in jQuery Mobile, Uh, you know, we're using progressive enhancement principles. So we start with a link that goes from page A to page B. And then we have an Ajax navigation system that basically hijacks that link, uh, formulates an Ajax request, pulls in the guts of that page into the DOM, enhances it, and then does a CSS-based, uh, animated page transition from A to B. So there's a lot of complicated stuff going on there. And so what we found is that Opera Mini would do all sorts of weird stuff and a lot of it was timing-based, so you'd click a link and you get a blank page, because the server, I guess, was in the process of figuring out what was happening, and it was like, oh, time's up, time to send whatever I have. So they're, their server still is page. trying to render and, and interpret. It's still trying yes. to run the JavaScript, right? It tries very hard, yeah. I mean, it is it's it is rendering and running JavaScript, and it's doing all sorts of fancy things trying to keep up. Because the the promise of a browser like uh, Opera Mini is that You can go to a a full desktop site and operate it, but it's sort of, it's very slow. So it's like, uh, and the things that that are especially slow are things that will require a repaint. So even a simple thing, if you have like a collapsible widget on the page and you click on it, when that opens up, uh, it has to go back to the server and fetch either the whole page or that piece of the page that, that image of the the opened version of it. Um, so anytime you're doing user interaction, it gets really heavy. So there's a lot of things that we sort of did over time for many things like first of all, we kicked them out of the AJAX navigation system because there was all sorts of problems with it losing track of where you were. Um, other things like we originally with select menus, we have a nice pretty custom select menu and a sle- that would open up. And that was very slow for it to parse and very slow for you to move through it. So you know, as a default, we now you know when you tap on our pretty looking select menu, it actually triggers the native menu to open, and things that are native, like uh, the native select menu, actually sort of render immediately in Mini, so it's a lot faster. So, a lot of these things are little tricks to to take advantage of whatever native capabilities are there, okay, and avoid things that are heavy.
2: But basically, the answer sounds like a lot of custom work, or like <laughs> a every individual feature.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's the thing is, there's no shortcuts. And what we've had to do is just test. So we have here in Boston, I think, 70 different uh, phones, uh, tablets, e-readers that we wow. test everything on. So when we're working on a feature, uh, we'll have a theory about how we want it to work. Um, but we just do a ton of iteration. So and you test it out and see, does it work? Is it buggy? And it, these are and these are things that like you can't go into it like you would like server side and say okay I'm going to write a test for this and I'm going to write the code against it and everything's cool sure. like <laughs> there's a whole lot of you have to like
2: pick up you know. the feature phone
1: and run yeah. this stuff on it
2: yeah so basically like, it sounds like there's a phenomenal amount of man hours put into this
1: there is a huge amount of man hours put into this um and I think that's really the 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 value of the library is we we spend. You know, a huge amount of time, blood, sweat, and tears to sort of figure out. You know, what's that that perfect line that you can that you can walk that gives you something that works everywhere and works really slickly in, in a better browser. And we don't do a lot of hacky stuff, so it's sort of like, it, and that only happens by you know experience and a lot of testing. And so, if people are, you know, if you're a developer and you want to build a uh, a web app or a hybrid app, you can just pick up Mobile. It's very easy to use. And you don't have to worry, as long as you sort of stay on the rails, you don't have to really do a lot of testing, because you can assume that we've done a lot of testing for you. And I think that's why it's become very popular, because a lot of people just don't have the thousands of hours to sit there and figure out why select menus have stopped working in Android (laughs) 2.3. You know? (laughs) So So, there's a lot of madness.
0: So jQuery Mobile is kind of a mix between touch, functionality, and making things work on a mobile device. And then you've also got all these uh, UI widgets. So it, it's sort of like enhancing jQuery so that it works well on mobile and giving you a lot of the features that you would expect out of something like jQuery UI. Um, How much of it is is enhancements that would go on top of jQuery versus some of the more uh, visual uh, elements?
3: Mm.
1: Well, I would say it's mostly UI focused. So we've added a few things like there are uh, you know, tools in the library that that give you orientation change events and touch events and things like that. We tried normalizing those. So there are utilities like that in the library. Um, and, but pretty much the, the majority of what you're getting with the library is a set of UI elements. So you have a full set of form elements, you know, sliders and, you know, inputs and all that kind of good stuff, and things like accordions and collapsibles and panels and pop-ups and overlays and dialogues and all that kind of stuff so the, and those are the things that you're going to get in the library is a lot of UI widgets that have been um, tuned for mobile and touch but also work just as well on desktop devices as well um, and you know trying to tackle some of the harder problems out there so for example if you've ever worked on a responsive design project one of the really hard things to, to get to work is tables right so imagine you have a Financial report. It's got 12 columns of data. You have to see them all. How does that work at 320 pixels wide, right? It's sort of (laughs) a really tricky problem to solve. And uh, at Filament Group, we did a lot of experimentation and some other people did. And as a library, we said, you know, there's two patterns here that we think are interesting. And so we built those as widgets um, in the last release. And so, for example, if you have uh, a table of data, you can either use a reflow mode. So basically, each column of data now at a small width, basically stacks. So you end up with the column header becoming a label and the cell contents becoming data, so it's sort of like labeled data pairs. So that works really well if you're presenting, say, a list of movies or stuff like that that doesn't need a lot of comparison across columns. And then we have a column chooser mode that basically you just start with a plain old table, you add one data attribute, and it will let you, um, as the screen gets smaller, you can choose which columns are most important and the lesser important columns will drop away and be hidden. But we inject a button and a little menu so you can hit the button and you can, as a user, choose which columns you want to see. So, you know, those are both things that are would be really hard to build. But, you know, we do a lot of the heavy lifting for that. So you can just sort of add one data attribute and, and tell us which columns are most important and now you have a fully responsive table. So that's what we're trying to do is really solve the harder problems that people would probably punt on if they had to sit there and invent it from scratch.
0: That's really cool. So one other thing I want to ask about is, um, let's say that I've built desktop full width application and I start doing some of the, doing some of the responsive design and things to it. What yep. kind what kinds of things am I gonna run into as I start plugging jQuery mobile into it? If it didn't have it before?
1: That's an interesting question. I think what we've learned with responsive design is it's always very hard to retrofit something that's desktop centric into responsive. It's much easier if you take a mobile first approach, which basically you start from the mobile side and you scale up from there. Your life is always going to be quite a bit quite a bit easier. But you know, if you were trying to retrofit, and there are a lot of people out there that have taken desktop sites. I think there was a, a guy I met that, I think he worked at American Century Bank, and they already had a full desktop website. It was a really complicated site. And uh, they were just conditionally, they were figuring out, uh, using a server-side detect, whether you were on a mobile device or not. And if you were, they were simply injecting jQuery mobile and, you know, their custom uh, styles, style sheet. And so it was taking the exact same content that was on their website and reformatting it, which is sort of an interesting approach. So um, that's definitely something you can do. I think the things that people find a little challenging when they're using mobile for the first time is because if you use all the features and you do use the, the Ajax navigation, you know, there's a little bit uh, of a different approach in how you handle things like scripting. Because you're not hooking into DOM ready anymore. You know, the page is already there and a new page is being pulled into the DOM. So we have our own set of sort of page level events that you have to hook into. So that's usually one of the learning curve things that people have to get their head around a little bit. But for the most part, things should just work. So as long as your site is built with pretty straightforward uh, semantic HTML, uh, just adding jQuery mobile and our style sheet will just sort of mobilify the whole thing. So what if you're not building a server-side rendered app what if you're using one of these
2: client-side MVC frameworks? Is that going to clash with jQuery mobile, or have you seen people
1: use them together with Angular or Ember or one of those things? Absolutely. So, you know, as a as a library, that's something that we definitely spend a lot of time thinking about. It's nothing just like how jQuery doesn't sort of get very prescriptive about which framework you should be using. We're trying to be neutral and, so, and let... Lots of people sort of fill in that part of the ecosystem, but yeah, there are a lot of MVC-style um, uh, adapters for jQuery Mobile already. Uh, Angular is one of them out there already. And if you go to jQueryMobile.com/resources, there's a, a really nice page where we tried to uh, collect a lot of these things together. So it's a very long page, but you know, at this point, we have you know, there's almost 15 books that have been written about mobile, and there's a huge list of different tool sets and frameworks that you can use with it. But yeah, there's a number of different um, MVC style frameworks that people have used with it. And the, one of the the little gotchas is, is, again, with the AJAX navigation, there are some settings that you need to make in mobile and, and how we sort of handle certain things. But they're all just um, a matter of setting, you know, flipping the right switches um, so that we play nicely with, the, with an MVC style framework. And, and a lot of people do that because when you're building an app, that's really where you want to be, right? You don't want to be rendering... Uh, markup on the server, you're probably going to be doing a lot of client-side templating.
0: So So. I've been working on uh, an application. We're using Mm Backbone.js, and I'm not sure if we're using jQuery mobile or not, to be perfectly honest. Um, I've I've looked through a lot of this. Anyway, um, I guess my question is, it has its own little syntax for the events, and the events don't seem to be working when we try and do a, is it start touch event in Chrome or in Safari in the emulator I'm running for iOS? Mm -hmm. So I think it, I think it does some funny stuff with jQuery's on function that you know creates an event on an object. But I'm just wondering, are, are there shims or things that you can plug into Backbone to make them work properly with jQuery Mobile? Or
1: maybe? there are, and I've, there's a number of articles that have been written about using Backbone specifically with mobile. I w- you know I would say the resources page I I'm scanning through right now, and there's quite a bit of. Uh, tutorials on those topics so it might be good to take a look at that first and then if you have trouble definitely let us know in the <laughs> <laughs> okay. in the issue tracker you know we're we're very active on github so feel free to log an issue
0: all right sounds good
2: so you work for filament you've mentioned yep. that a couple of times um are they supporting your development of jquery mobile or is it just kind of you you're
1: using it and you help out on it or how's that Sure. So yeah, filament J- uh, group has been volunteering quite a bit of time for jQuery projects in general over the last, say, five years or so. So we originally were involved with, uh, we were using jQuery UI quite a bit on on client projects. And so, you know, we were like, man, there's a lot of features we'd like here, and we'd like to fix some bugs. And we really want to rethink the way theming works. So we we got involved in UI and sort of did basically a, a whole front end re- redesign of all the widgets and the... The CSS and HTML, uh, and along the way, we we came up with a new theme framework and um, a web-based tool called Theme Roller that lets you create your own themes. And so we did that over the course of about two years. And and from there, you know, John Rezig asked us to to help sort of lead the mobile project. So that was three years ago when we started that. So as a company, we've been I think we've probably worked. 7000 hours on the project or some crazy amount like that a part of those hours uh has been sponsored so part of the project uh you know we get sponsors from uh, large corporations and things that want to support the project and that in turn sort of supports some development time at a you know a discounted rate so that's how some of the the folks on ui and mobile work and are able to work on it during hours so it's a little bit of a mix it's like majority of it is donated time and it's sort of different people here at filament group that plug in and um, so it's been, and it's been a really interesting process to sort of run a, a, you know, a large scale open source project like this.
2: Do you want to talk about some of the I mean you, you're such a huge project both in terms of number of people using it but also the scope of what you cover how do you organize it and make sure people are working on things that are useful and, and keep track of contributions and stuff?
1: Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. I guess we spend a lot of time in the GitHub issue tracker and looking at pull requests and things. The thing that you'd probably be surprised about is that the jQuery project in general is fairly small, and the number of people that are working on Core and even UI and, and Mobile are all it's a fairly small team. So uh, mobile right now has probably eight people, sometimes 10 people. That are, you know, day to day contributors. And then we have lots of, uh, help from the community, people doing pull requests or helping us with issue triage or just reporting issues. And so. Oh, wow. I thought it was a lot more than that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a, it's a small group. And even that is fairly big, even by jQuery project standards. Something like UI probably has a smaller team than, than even mobile does. And so, yeah, the people that are sort of keeping all of these projects going, it's a, it's a pretty small number of folks out there. That are, that are at least providing the, the day-to-day, you know, eyes on everything. And so, you know, and th- that's why, you know, we are always out there seeing if there are people that are, that are fired up and active. Usually we find people on the, the, uh, the issue tracker that are, you know, working on a project and they're logging a lot of issues and, and or doing pull requests for things they've fixed. And, and we try to, as a project, be very open and say, hey, it seems like you're really active, why don't you come aboard? And we've had really good luck getting people, you know, that just were, you know, fired up and that wanted to help out the project. So I do encourage anyone that that wants to help, you know, reach out to us through GitHub, and you know, we're we'd love to you know, to have more contributions from folks. And you know, there's also a mixture of other things. Of those people that I mentioned on the team, some of those people are sponsored. Um, so we have uh, a person who works at Rim, who uh, works on jQuery Mobile part time. We have. Uh, a really great developer, uh, John Bender, who works at Adobe. Uh, he's been working on, uh, mobile full time. We have, uh, a person who works part time. He's from Jive Software. So we have some people, um, we have one person who works at Intel. So we have different people that work for companies that, that are using jQuery mobile for parts. Of their, um, either their tooling, if you're Adobe, or they're working on using jcore Mobile for products, as in the case of Intel. And um, so, you know, it's in their best interest to have somebody on the project who can, you know, make sure that it has good momentum. And, you know, my, my job on the project is, I think, just to sort of help sort of guide us and, and make sure that we're sort of on track in terms of listening to what the community wants and um, that we have, you know, a very regular release sc- uh, schedule and things like that. But you know, it's it's always a lot of
4: negotiation. Since uh, Microsoft kind of officially blessed jQuery a while ago, have you seen uh, much of the way of contribution for the Microsoft corner? And um, especially now that you know Windows Phone is around, is is there been a lot of contribution to make jQuery Mobile work well on Windows Phone? That's a good question. Yeah, we
1: actually have had. Um, on and off uh, contributors from Microsoft on the project, which has been really cool. So, and one of the things that that Microsoft did is they created their own Metro theme for Windows Phone. So, if you're using, if you built a UI using jQuery Mobile, you can basically just toss in a, a CSS file, and it completely changes the look and feel to look like a native Metro theme. And I think we've actually seen a number of companies do that. RIM, for example, just recently came out with a really polished BlackBerry 10 theme for jQuery mobile as well. So, And that was sort of an interesting thing that we were hoping would happen. So like I said in the beginning, mobile was always you know, very web-centric, fairly neutral in our look and feel. We didn't want this to look like any particular platform because there's nothing weirder than sort of going to a website on your Android phone and it looks like iOS, right?
4: Like, <laughs> so, so do you think uh, Apple's going to contribute an iOS theme?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I wouldn't hold my breath. <laughs> I am not holding my breath. Uh, that said, though, like, there's a really great designer um, who actually has created an iOS theme. So if you are using mobile, there's now a really nice theme that looks like the uh, the Halo theme, which is the newer Android look and feel. There's one for BB10, Windows Phone 7, there's an iOS theme. And that's sort of perfect. We're You know, as a project, we wanted, we want to sort of keep focused on something neutral, but you know, encouraging other people to sort of, in that ecosystem, be building custom themes that are more appropriate if you're building a, a native app. And so for Microsoft, I think that was a really um, important thing for them is to make sure that, you know...
3: Yeah, so, so you're talking about theming, and theming seems to be something that's really difficult. What, what do you do to ship a project that is themable? Do you only ship uh, like structured styles and then themes that sit on top of it? Like, What are your design goals to be able to make something themable?
1: Yeah, that's that's a really great question. It's tricky, so we've sort of gone through this. We went through this a number of times on client projects where you know people need to white labeled software, and then like I mentioned it with jQuery UI, we when we came up with the new look and feel, we said, hey, we don't know what the perfect color is here. Let's just make this themeable, and so we built a tool around that. And in UI, we learned quite a bit of stuff about you know, how to abstract away look and feel from structure. And that's exactly what we call it is structure. So in the library, the way we currently are doing theming is there is, you know, each widget. So if you have the slider, for example, there's a slider.css and that consists of all the structural things that make it work, the padding, the sizes, the borders, all that stuff. And then we have a theme style sheet. And the theme style sheet is very generic. It's not widget specific in any way. So and a theme basically consists of colors and fonts and things like that so and we within the theme there are things called swatches so we swatch a you can do a through z, and each swatch basically consists of uh, like a bar a uh, a normal page background, and then typical button states you know so the normal state, the hover state, the press state, and then there's an ad. and so for each one of those collections of things, you can apply them to a widget so if I have a button on the page, I can just say we're using a lot of data attributes for configuration. So we'll say data theme A and that will make it black. Change it to data theme B. It'll make it blue. And so we're basically letting these, um, uh, the colors sort of flow over the structural styles from a technical perspective. They're actually flipped. Um, but that's sort of a, a minor detail. So there's a really clear separation between just setting things like gradients and colors and fonts and things and what sort of defines, you know, the widget itself.
3: Got it. So, so it's really just structure versus style. Yep. Yep. Cool. Um, is, and w-
0: is the style mostly CSS, or are there actual JavaScript components to it?
1: Well, there's quite a bit of JavaScript involved, um, but and one of the things that we're doing right now in the latest release is, because we're using progressive enhancement, we want to start with a really simple markup, right? So if you have a, a list view, you know The basic markup for that is just an unordered list, and you have some linked list items, right? So really basic stuff. Uh, once you add one data attribute to say, hey, this data role of list view, we go through and we were adding quite a bit of classes for you. So your markup could be really simple, and we're using JavaScript to add a bunch of classes for these button states and all these good things. And so there is JavaScript for basically decorating markup. And one of the things that we're doing in this latest release is um, we're actually refactoring... That side of it quite a bit to reduce the amount or even the need at all for using JavaScript to um, enhance things.
4: And so, the way, you, oh, go ahead. Are you saying that the themes also include HTML as well? HTML customizations? No, it's more that um, the the way we actually will do
1: it is if you have say a list view, the JavaScript right now is looping through and on each list item, uh, it's adding a class of UI button A if you said that you wanted swatch A for that. So it's adding a class that applies the button look to eat to that list item. And then we might add another class that adds an icon. So we're using lots of stackable classes to sort of build up the theme. So if you have just a div on the page, you can add you know, a class of UI corner all, and it will add our standard theme border radius to all of the corners. And you can so add another class that's shadow and another class that's bar. And so each one of those things sort of eventually build up a rounded corner drop shadow bar looking thing. So that sounds a lot like object oriented
2: CSS where you have that. specific classes or whatever for, for portions of, of mark or of, of, functionality. I don't know. Someone give yep. a good definition of
1: object oriented CSS. I'm kind of butchering it, but it sounds a lot like no, what you described. That's exactly what it is. That's, uh, you know, props to Nicole Sullivan for that idea up. Uh, so that's exactly what we're doing right now is lots of stackable classes that are sort of, uh, you know, very narrowly defined so that we can just, re- so we can reuse those over and over again. And so that way we, we add the same corner class, whether it's a, a button or a list view or, you know, whatever. And that way it's a very consistent corner radius and we're keeping our, our code, you know, very clean. Now, this was all, one of the things that we are thinking about is you know whether something like a CSS CSS uh, preprocessor would um, sort of change the equation a bit. And so that's something that we're probably not going to do for this release, but maybe in the next release we're going to give that some thought because you can sort of achieve similar effects by using a preprocessor. And the advantage of that is that you can essentially compile everything out to a point where it's much easier to sort of see what's happening style-wise because uh, we do a lot of like we'll add a generic class and then we'll sort of do some overrides at the widget level to make it the way we want it to be. And it makes a lot of sense if you know the whole system, but I think there can be sort of a learning curve in how to customize things. So that's something that you know we're always sort of looking at what we're doing and saying, yeah, is there a way to make this easier or make it more flexible? But currently we are using an object-oriented CSS model that doesn't require a preprocessor. That was sort of the... Because back three years ago, that was not really... Something that we wanted to to do as a project, it just added another dependency.
3: In terms of the themeability, do you guys have any effort in terms of the jQuery UI project to make the she- the themes uh, similar in terms of like the learning curve? Are they architected similarly?
1: Yeah, they actually are, are architected very similarly. Um, so there there's still all the same abstraction in UI. There's um, uh, the only difference is, uh, UI essentially has one theme swatch. So when you're doing theme roller in, in jQuery UI, you can only choose one button, right? So your button, if you want a blue button, that's cool. But if you wanted a blue button and a green button, you really can't do that very easily. You have to actually add a second theme and you can scope it. It's sort of a, it's sort of not built for that. So in mobile, we, that's the main thing that we did is we added this notion of multiple swatches so you can build up to 26 color swatches. So you can have a silver button and a black button and a red button and a blue button and a green button. And then you can just, you know, on a button in the page, you can say, this is really important, so I want it to be the green button. And you can just easily add that, um, the theme attribute on there and, and apply that. So that's sort of the, um, the only major difference. Otherwise, sort of what we already talked about with um, the abstraction between structure and theme and the stackable classes still applies.
0: Do you find that uh, some of the features, for example, with the themes uh, that you build into jQuery mobile translate well to jQuery UI and affect the design over there?
1: Yeah, and uh, there's actually quite a bit of big thinking right now, uh, you know, on the jQuery project just in general about, you know, what's the relationship between jQuery UI and jQuery mobile, right? So, because they they do the same thing. They're both UI frameworks. And, you know, if you believe like we do that the distinction between mobile and desktop is very fuzzy already and is just going to have to go away if you're going to be taking a more pragmatic approach that you really should be using responsive design, we probably really need to knit these two libraries much much more closely together, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're doing quite a bit of work on, on that side of it. In this current release, we're actually pulling in the jQuery UI tab component, and using it in mobile. So one of the, we're trying to figure out a couple things. One, we're harmonizing our cores. There's like a, a jQuery UI and jQuery mobile core. And we we are basically using the same core at this point. Um, and we both are based on the widget factory, so there's a, a lot of uh, similarities there in terms of, of that, how we're structuring our code. And then one of the things that we're working on here is trying to figure out how to have a shared infrastructure for theming. So ideally, there would be one theme roller tool and that would work across UI and mobile in the short term. And then maybe in the long term, there is just one thing, right? So, and it's, and I think it will be good for UI to actually move more towards the mobile uh, theme framework just because it's newer. So we're using some more, more modern techniques in, in some of our theming uh, that just wasn't available four or five years ago. When we we're working on the UI version of it. Well, So yeah, that is all stuff that's underway.
0: The one, one thing that I think is interesting that you pointed out, and you've done it a couple of times, is that the, the line between mobile and desktop is blurring. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we even see these days uh, systems like Windows 8 where they're building touchscreens into the machines that run it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it really wouldn't be shocking to see it move that way as things move along. One thing that I'm, I'm curious about, I'm going to change the topic a little bit. Last week we talked to Brian Hogan about accessibility Mm. and I'm really curious. It's, it says that you do the, the ARIA um, stuff from Mm the W three C's specification and things like that. I'm, I'm wondering how those features fit in with everything else. And I'm also curious as to whether or not that's going to be moved up to, um, uh, jQuery or jQuery UI.
1: Sure. So, yeah, accessibility is a a very important thing for both UI and mobile. And in its current state, both UI and mobile are accessible. And we both do use ARIA uh, pretty extensively throughout our our widgets, and and give quite a bit of thought not just to ARIA but things like you know tab focus and keyboard input because that's you know it's it's all well and good that you know that something is widget x but it's much more important that you can still actually use it and um so we we have both projects have spent a lot of time thinking about accessibility working with folks that are in the accessibility community and um trying to you know do the best we can to to just make it work right because accessibility is a really hard thing to get right and, um, you know, when we were, we actually wrote a book, a filmmaker group about progressive enhancement and how to build, you know, rich UIs that were accessible to everyone. And so access you know, building an ARIA and things like that were really important back then. But, you know, there's a lot of questions. You know, when we we're writing the book. It was like, is this really the right thing? Do we have to use this role or that role? Or this is unprecedented. And how does this really work? And so what we're trying to do as libraries and have it, have it just work so that you, as long as you're using UI or mobile, it's accessible and you don't have to do any work you don't even have to know what's happening but it's there there's some interesting things with accessibility though uh we were actually get, we got a lot of feedback recently and one of the pieces of feedback we heard was that it's really cool that when i open up a jquery mobile page it's, it uses aria roles and things like that but when somebody uses jquery mobile within a packaged native app like as a hybrid app that they actually don't want to hear any of the aria roles in that context It's confusing, which sort of surprised me. But you know, what the feedback we heard from people that are actually using screen readers is that it just doesn't make sense, that there's other ways of navigating with an app and they don't want to hear all the ARIA roles. So we actually have a few open tickets right now to to have a a configuration switch that will you turn that on and off. So you could say, It's a native app. You know, for whatever reason I want to turn off all this ARIA stuff and sort of quiet down the interface. So it's it's always evolving, you know. The, what what works and what makes sense for people is something that we're still sort of learning. It's a, it's, a, it's an interesting area, but it's very important to us. That's for sure. And part of that too is you know we always talk about this with progressive enhancement. When you start with HTML, it's accessible, right? If you if you build a nice semantic HTML page, it's a hundred percent accessible. And it's only when we start adding CSS and JavaScript do we start breaking that accessibility. And then we have to put great care back into adding keyboard shortcuts and adding ARIA roles and states and regions and things like that to start describing these more complicated interfaces. So uh, the fact that we use progressive enhancement is also nice too, because if you're, if you want, you can flip off JavaScript and you should still have a very usable experience. We're still using links and form elements and the whole library is sort of geared towards making you write good semantic HTML. Uh, it sort of freaks out if you don't. Which is by design, uh so you know that's another you know accessibility angle too. you can sort of make sure that it works even if you're if JavaScript is off or you choose to be using a text based browser
0: yeah one one thing that came up after doing the accessibility uh, episode, and this is something that I think the rest of the panel will be interested in as well, is that our transcriptionist actually sent an email to uh, my assistant, who's the one that provides her with the audio files. And she actually mentioned that her son has a hearing disability. Mm. And so it was very interesting to me to know that, you know, it it's it's everywhere, the accessibility mm-hmm. issues and just, you know, being able to take care of that. I love that it's kind of a, a no-brainer thing with, with jQuery, or at least, you know, it's getting there with jQuery Mobile so that you don't have to but, think about it, you just have it.
1: Yeah, I think, I think what we found is it's much better to sort of use the framework in some ways to sort of get people to do the right thing. You know what I mean? So I think being slightly opinionated as a framework is good because, you know, we don't advocate that you serve up an empty page and that you populate it later. (laughs) You know, we recommend that you start with a page that's fully functional and then you layer on all this good stuff on top of it. And I think that's just important. And I think that's also sort of very much in line with the, the philosophy of jQuery, right? When jQuery came out, it's very, it was all about, you know, making everything work cross-browser and making it work in a really simple way. And, you know, I think that's sort of the spirit that we were trying to do with mobile, which is, you know, lowering the barriers to do the right thing. And that, that takes on a lot of facets, right? So we've already talked about the fact that this works with screen readers and it works on pretty much, you know, any... Uh, device you might want to use it on out there the other part of accessibility is is lowering the developer barrier right so mm-hmm. as a as a project we we were one of the first projects to use um, a lot more data attribute based configuration so you can actually use the library and configure these widgets but you don't have to write a line of JavaScript at all and you know people that are Right. JavaScript users will say ah oh, that's garbage you know it slows things down da. and you can you don't have to use that you know these are regular old jQuery plugins but it's really amazing to, to see people that were designers or that were just educators or in government uh, you know using jQuery Mobile to build stuff that you know can reach everyone and is accessible and it's very easy for them to actually build these things they don't have to spend two hundred thousand dollars and hire some fancy firm they can they can build a pretty solid-looking web app, just learning plain old HTML. And I think that's... I think lowering the the access barrier on the developer side is is equally important, I think, for a, a library or framework. So that's something that we're really proud of as well.
0: One, one other thing I want to ask you about. You keep bringing up prog- progressive enhancement mm-hmm. and you just talked about how you take a basic HTML page and then just uh, layer stuff onto it. Is that what you mean?
1: Exactly. So the philosophy with Progressive enhancement is pretty simple. It's just imagine a world where, HTML, where uh, CSS and JavaScript didn't exist, and, and you just have the semantics to express yourself of HTML. So you sit there and you say, okay, I've got, you know, this form, or I have this content, you know, based on what the limited vocabulary I have in HTML semantics, how do I express that as richly as possible? And once you've done that, and only when you've done that and things work and make sense, do you then start thinking about what happens with CSS and JavaScript? And, you know, I think that's, and it's, it's a very future proof kind of approach anyway, because, you know, HTML is always going to be around. It's been here forever and it's sort of like the cockroach of technologies, right? It's always going to be here. And so having a nice clean semantic, well-structured document is, is just a really great thing. You could pull out a jQuery mobile and put in some other stuff or your own custom styles and scripts and, and just sort of give that new life. But So, you know, I think that's a really good thing. And we, you know, the other side of the the coin from progressive enhancement is, you know, this idea of graceful degradation. So, you know, we build something and when it breaks, we give them some alternate content, you know, uh, which is okay in theory. And sometimes we do use that technique, but in general, you know, it, it sort of relies on the developer to sort of create two different experiences. And a lot of times when time is short, they just punt on it, right? So it's much easier to say, you know, build build the simple HTML form and then we'll give you the WYSI sliders on top of that. But in the end, if you shut off JavaScript, it still works. And I think that's been another reason why mobile's been very popular is, you know, it's it does use JavaScript, it's a JavaScript library, but it's also um, based on plain old good HTML semantics. And I think you'll see, you know, there are projects like Bootstrap, which is now insanely popular, and that also takes that similar approach, right? It's pretty clean Uh, semantic markup with some classes. And if you want some extra interactivity, there are some plugins you can add on top of that. So that's sort of even taking that a little bit further. And I think that's definitely a a really nice, solid foundation to build anything on top of.
0: Mm, I like the approach. I really like it. Um, If I'm building my own library, how, how do I take that kind of approach there? I mean, is it the same kind of thing? Just, okay, how do I make this a little bit better? How do I make it a little bit better? And does it still work when the JavaScript's not there? or has an issue?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the approach that we talk about quite a bit in our book is sort of this x-ray approach. So if you look at something that's really slick, you have to sort of look through that and figure out what, what's trying, what you're trying to communicate with it. You know, the slider is the simple example, right? So you have a, a cool slider. But really what you're trying to do on the slider is usually set a numeric value, right? So you could just start with an input type of number, you can set your min to max attributes you can set your value attribute and then what you can do is you can then write the javascript to first of all be cautious and say are you a capable device and there is different criteria feature test based criteria you can use to decide that using tools like modernizer but you know once the script has determined that okay this browser can handle a more enhanced experience what we usually advocate doing is you know using javascript to sort of parse those html attributes, you know, parse the richness that's already in the HTML, and then use that to configure your widget. So you're parsing the min, max value attributes, the step attribute, those kinds of things, and plugging those into the JavaScript widget. And then creating the enhanced experience on top of that. The cool thing is it's easy to configure because you're just doing HTML. And if there is, if there isn't a native uh, attribute for something, you know, you can use the HTML5 data dash attribute kind of thing to make up your own, which we do quite a bit on mobile. But, you know, it's, you don't have all this text strings and stuff embedded in some sort of JavaScript config. You're, you're instead just uh, writing the markup into the page and letting the script figure out how to configure itself based on that. Um, so that's just sort of you know a simple example of how you would use progressive enhancement. You know you can take it pretty far. We actually at Filmic Group wrote a really cool plugin called Visualize, and the way Visualize works is you know let's say you wanted to do a pie chart or a line chart or pie chart, uh, bar chart on the web. Normally that's going to be done in some tool like Visio or Excel or whatever, and exported as an image, which has really very little meaning. So if you're on a screen reader. Even if you're a good web developer and you wrote an alt uh, description for that, you know what do you think that alt text is going to say? It'll say, like, chart of 2013 sales data. <laughs> you know, great. That doesn't mean anything to me. So Visualize sort of takes that approach uh, of progressive enhancement turns everything on its head and says, well, what are you trying to communicate in that chart? You're trying to communicate information. There's data there. So uh, Visualize works by, you know, if you... Uh, so they wanted to do a bar chart, you put an HTML table in your page that has all the rows and columns and all the data and all that good stuff. And you could very simply call Visualize on that table and pass in, you know, okay, I want this to be a bar chart. And the plugin then parses the data out of that table and uses Canvas to generate a chart. And then you can choose to hide the original table or leave it there or whatever. But so if you're on a screen reader, you now get a table that gives you all the data that you need. Um, and so you know that's a, a more advanced sort of idea with progressive enhancement, but pretty much anything that you can imagine can be translated into you know this progressive enhancement framework. There's a very small number of things that I would say, yeah, it's probably not worth doing. you know like if you're building a Photoshop clone in a web browser, you may not want to try to attempt to build that with PE. Mm-hmm. You may not want to use it on a screen reader. But, you know, there, you know, it's for the most part, you can communicate really complicated things uh, in HTML, I would argue, and, and provide a pretty good experience.
0: All right. Well, we're running close to the end of our time. Are there any other questions you guys have? I know I kind of monopolized the conversation here for a little bit.
2: I don't think so. I think that was really clear. I've answered all the questions. There's none left <laughs> in the world. Excellent. Well, I have some about life, but... <laughs>
0: Yeah, and somebody else probably has questions about the universe, and I have mm. questions about
1: everything. So, I am not a deep thinker. You will not get answers from me on those things.
0: All right. Well, in that case, let's go ahead and get to the picks. Joe, do you want to start us off?
4: Yeah, you bet. I've got two quick picks here. The first one is the book Disenchanted. I read this a little while ago. It's a story about a guy who uh, dies and is a walking ghoul, uh, is roaming land trying to free himself of his curse, and it's pretty irreverent and quite funny, and I really enjoyed reading it, so I highly recommend that. It's called D- Disenchanted. And my other pick is a brand new release that I haven't had a chance to play, but I'm really excited to play. It's made by Sid Meier. It's an iOS game, and it's called Sid Meier's Ace Patrol. So what it is is it's a um, World War one I- based, turn-based flying game where you play, play like a a squad of world war one flying aces and it apparently has uh, RPG elements where you guys will level up, but it's made by Sid Meier. And as far as I'm concerned, Sid Meier doesn't make anything bad. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. Please don't mention any of the bad games that he's made,
2: which ones there are none. Right. So anyway,
3: those are my two picks.
0: Awesome. Uh, Merrick, what are your picks?
3: My first pick is going to be a musician, actually two. It's called Zed's Dead and Omar Lynx, and it's like this really cool mix of like electronic wub-wub-wub-wub-wub dubstep with rap. And it's kind of a weird name, Zed's Dead and Omar Lynx. I'll put the link in the show notes. And then my second pick is RequireJS. I think James Burke has done a fantastic job on it, and I, I still enjoy using it after. Oh, man, two plus years,
2: three years. Awesome. Now, because you're younger than me, that means your music is automatically cooler than the music I like. So I'll have to pay attention <laughs> to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to check it out. Nice. Yeah, I've,
0: I've recently gotten onto a project that's using RequireJS, and holy cow, it makes
2: things so much easier.
0: Jameson, what are your picks?
2: So I have three. First one is ember101.com. This is a series of introduction to ember videos done by ryan florence who's a, a guy here in utah mm-hmm. and they're really good they're probably the best gentle introduction to ember that i've seen so far um the second pick was just a little tool that was invaluable for adding my funny pictures to some conference talks i did recently it's called sickle it's just a little command line util to manipulate gifts so you can slow them down speed them up um just expand them shrink them um you can do all this stuff with like ffmpeg and bash but it's just a nice wrapper around that so most of the things that you want would want to do with the gif you can just do with one little command line flag and my last pick is it's a tool for bundling vim plugins or, or installing vim plugins, plugins i should say it's called vundle um i was using pathogen before and vundle is a million times nicer because it gives you a really nice syntax for specifying the plugins that you want to install right inside your vmrc file so you what? don't have to hack together your own like ghetto thing that everyone everyone always creates with pathogen where like either you embed get sub modules you have a little script that downloads these list of files you create yourself so basically like does all the work for you it's pretty good those are my picks
0: cool all right so i'll go next i've ordered a couple of things off of amazon recently that i'm really excited about One of them is the D-Link SharePort Go. It's uh, basically a wireless router, except that it has, uh, like most wireless routers, it has the the Cat5 or Cat6. I forget what the plug's called. But anyway, see, you you can plug it into the internet in your hotel room and stuff. But if you're somewhere where you can't plug it into the internet because you don't have a a Cat5 or Cat6 connection, You can actually set it up so that it gets its internet connection from the hotel wireless, and then you can connect all of your devices to this device. And uh, so then you basically get the benefit of being able to have five or six devices um, on one connection on the hotel system. The reason that it's nice is that when you're traveling, a lot of times the hotels will only allow you to have one or two devices on on their wireless, and so this is a way to get around it. The other thing is is it has some security features so that if you're on some insecure wi fi um you can just hook this thing up and uh off you go and you're you're working on a more secure wireless, so I'm really excited to try it out. I'm actually heading out to Denver as soon as we're done here, so that should be cool.
2: What if it's terrible? Are you gonna unpick it next week? <laughs> <laughs> what if it turns your internet upside down
0: uh then uh I don't know. <laughs>
4: So Chuck, does it just produce its own Wi-Fi, or does it actually have hard wires for you to like plug in your own devices, like through a ja- uh, you know wired connection?
0: It just produces its own Wi-Fi, so you can only connect gotcha. to it wirelessly. It also has a USB port on it, so if you want to connect a hard drive or a USB thumb drive to it, then you can do that, and then it'll share that as a file server to all of your devices as well. So it's pretty slick. The other one that I'm going to pick is just. Uh, just having a a, i got a rather cheap gaming mouse but it makes playing some of the games that i play a whole lot simpler and so uh i'm gonna pick that as well and then the last thing i'm gonna pick and these are all things i've ordered off of amazon is i got my wife an apple tv for christmas and um we were having trouble figuring out what to where to put it and uh Anyway, there's a total mount on Amazon that you can get and that just hooks it to the back of the TV and then um, that seems to work just fine. So then the little remote works and everything and it it's just up there and out of the way. So those are my picks. Todd, what are your picks?
1: Mm, so I think my first pick is Sonos because I am cracked out on Sonos right now. Uh, so Sonos is this wireless audio system. I don't know if any of you guys have it. But it's really cool if you're, if you listen to it like a Spotify. It's like one of those I know, dragons. right? Yeah. It's, so they're basically just like a bunch of different uh, little speakers. They're powered. So they have their own amps. But the cool thing is they basically have little PCs inside them. So they're, um, they have clients built into them. Um, they connect through their own Wi-Fi mesh network. And they, the clients on them can run things like Spotify and Pandora and stuff like that. So you can just plug into the plug each speaker into the wall, and then you can start streaming whatever you want to them, and you can hook them together so they're all playing in sync. So it's one of those things where you buy one and you end up with six like three months later. Oh no! You don't, you don't know what happened to you.
0: I think you just spent a whole bunch of my money.
1: They're multiplying. Yeah. It's it's pretty cool. It's pretty addictive. So I'm just Jonesing for their. They have a nice wireless subwoofer, so that's what I'm Jonesing for now. Nice. And yeah. And then my next pick, I guess, would be I've been playing around this week with uh, Sketch app. So I don't know if you guys ever end up having to do any sort of graphic design stuff, but there's um it's a really cool app. It's vector based, so it's sort of like the poor man's illustrator, but it's really good. So if you're a UI designer, um it's been it's really cool. Um you can basically build UIs really quickly and it sort of encourages you to to design in a way that's much more like a developer. So when you're plugging stuff in, you're using the same syntax that you would with CSS. And in fact, the coolest thing is you can highlight a bunch of elements. So you can highlight a button and the button and some text and some other things. And then you can copy a CSS and it it writes really nice CSS that you can then sort of copy out and refactor and and get it into your style sheet. So there's much less uh, lost in translation between designers and developers. That's a pretty cool app. I should also say... Yeah, Require is awesome. We use it all on jQuery Mobile for all of our dependency management. It's great. Um, I don't know, man. We should give a shout-out to GitHub. We should all just give GitHub a big hug right now because our lives are so much better with GitHub. That
0: is so true. Uh, I have to say um, I forgot another pick that I wanted to do, and that is iOctocat, which is an iOS app for GitHub. I've been trying it out, and it is freaking awesome. So Yeah?
1: That's for iOS? Yeah. Really? What does it let you do?
0: It basically gives you like a list of all your news and activities. It'll show you all your repositories, all of your organizations, your gists, uh, all that stuff. You get access wow. to all of it through your iPhone or
1: iPad. Very cool. cool. So, um, yeah, so GitHub is always, not, it's it's not really on my list, but come on, we have to say we look <laughs> GitHub. Uh, the other tool we've been using a ton here is Grunt. So we use um, thanks to Ben Alman for his awesome little tool for automating all of our all of our front end lives. So we've built a lot of tools around Grunt, and uh, if you haven't used it, it's it's pretty awesome. So we use it for concatenating files. We use it for exporting SVG graphics and all these fallbacks. It writes CSS for us. It does all sorts of stuff. So Grunt is great. And lastly, I've been wasting way too much of my life working uh playing the Lego Batman is the uh DC superhero edition for iOS. I just have one more level, I'm on the final battle right now. But it's a blast, I've been playing it with my five year old.
2: More (laughs) of my money right there. I don't have a
1: five year old and I'm gonna play that game. (laughs) You don't need one, man. It's great. You can unlock like every every possible superhero, so but it's fun. So you
0: play it on iOS? Yep. And you can play it multiplayer?
1: No, that's the one bummer. You can't do multiplayer on this. I'm currently also in parallel working through the, the Lego Star Wars on Wii, like the all six movies. And that one's multiplayer, which is way better. Yeah, so this have, is, this is good on the train. For, yeah, we
0: have those for the Xbox. We have yeah uh, Star Wars and Indiana Jones and The Hobbit. Yeah, they're a blast. And yeah, they're fun. They're way fun.
1: So this is one just to play by yourself when you're on the subway. But it's good.
0: Do they have this for like Xbox and stuff, the Batman one?
1: Uh I'm not sure. I think they do though. I think these are all like ports of the, the DS version or something of all these. Yeah, okay. I think I think all these it's like last to iOS, but yeah, I think they're all on Xbox.
0: Alright, cool. Well you just spent five five of my bucks. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> here you go.
0: Five chuck bucks gone.
1: Boom. All right. Oh, you have to upgrade your guys too. So sign off another five bucks for some extra coins. Oh, I don't know. You need Flash. You need the uh, Green Lantern. Don't deny it.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm a cheapskate. It's it's funny because I will buy the games and then I refuse to buy upgrades, which is kind of weird to me now that I think about it. But anyway. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. It it's been awesome. It's been really fun to talk about this, and hopefully some folks will go out and build some awesome mobile web apps and do some cool stuff with some of the hybrid app things that you can do as well.
1: Very cool. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks. It's been really
0: educational. Definitely. Excellent. All right, we'll talk to you later. All right. See ya. Thanks,
1: guys. Yep, bye. Bye.